Thank you so much. Good morning. We are concluding our series in the book of Daniel. It's been a wonderful time to be studying that together with you. And this morning, I'd like for you now to take your Bibles and turn with me to the 12th chapter, where you and I see a dramatic series of events unfolding with regard to future matters. And I think that it has direct bearing upon what we're seeing across the world, even in this past week. So as we turn now, one last time, at least in our corporate studies together, to Daniel, to that 12th chapter in your Older Testament, what I'd like to do is, though we cover all 13 verses, I'm going to read down through verse 4 to give us a running sense of where all this leads us. And here now, what we find is God's Word, and as God's Word provides us with perspective with regard to what's still to come, he writes... At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who is charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel... Shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So what we're going to be doing now is to explore a wide range of issues pertaining to how contemporary events and, yes, even historic events are still foretastes of what's to come what God has designed for this world. So to fully understand that, we're going to pause now, and we're going to look to our God together in prayer. Now, my fathers, we're coming before you in the second of the services this morning. We want to have our hearts wide open to your truth. There are personal issues that we bring into a, a worship setting like this. And we are praying even beforehand that you would work powerfully, revealing your will and giving perspective on next steps for living. Some come needing to be broken. Others come broken and needing to be healed. And people arrive across the spectrum of life dealing with the issues they face before our sovereign God. But we come to our sovereign God based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ as revealed in your word, and it's your revealed word that we want to be able to process and see how it relates to our personal and yet global experience. So, Father, in these minutes together, as we look very carefully into the way in which you've outlined strategic steps into the future, It's our prayer again that you would warm these hearts, that 
you would engage these minds, that you would shape these wills. Again, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. We pray this again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Did it capture your attention over the course of these days like it did mine? Publishing giant Harper Collins is apologizing profusely for losing its way with a new atlas that scrubbed Israel from the face of the earth in a bid to cater to Middle Eastern nations. You see, the company, which is a subsidiary of News Corp., has been selling the atlas. It says was, quote, developed specifically for schools in the Middle East, unquote. And it claims to provide students, particularly in the Middle East, with, quote, in-depth coverage of the region and its issues, unquote. The atlas shows Syria, it shows Jordan, it even shows Gaza. But the name Israel does not appear on it. How did this happen? Collins Bartholomew, a subsidiary of HarperCollins that specializes in maps, tells us that it would have been, quote, unacceptable to include Israel in atlases intended for the Middle East, and that they had deleted Israel to satisfy local preferences, unquote. Yet both Gaza and the West Bank are clearly on the map. Well, the publication of this atlas will confirm Israel's belief that there exists hostility between their country from parts of the Arab world, and it will not help to build up a spirit of trust leading to peaceful coexistence, so says Declan Lang, who chairs a conference that first highlighted the omission. Now, you take that and you compare that to what else has been happening in the course of these past seven days. There is a Davos conference happening right now in Switzerland where global leaders, economists, and a wide range of political leaders throughout the world have gathered together to discuss where this world is headed. And in particular, the turmoil produced by al-Qaeda, ISIS, and so forth. Meanwhile, in a beauty contest that just took place recently, uh, Miss Lebanon decided to take a selfie, and lo and behold, Miss Israel positioned herself next to Miss Lebanon, which produced fear throughout Lebanon that a Lebanese and an Israelite would be seen together in such a photo. Meanwhile, while Saudi Arabia at this very moment is experiencing a transition leadership, an adjacent nation, Yemen, has experienced such intense political instability at this point. Nobody knows for certain who's in charge, but if you've been watching very carefully on the newscasts over the course of these days, you will notice that in mosques, in particular in Yemen, which is a hotbed for terroristic activity, fists were raised towards the heavens in which there was a continual chant 
death to Israel, death to Israel, victory for Islam. Now, we group together this wide range of uh, events that we've just described in the past seven days. And we ask ourselves, seriously, where is this headed, and what does this portend? What do we do with this contemporary information that we're processing at this very point? And how do we connect the dots? What I want to do with you now in this final chapter of the book of Daniel is to draw out with you God's vision statement once again. All of Scripture's vision statement. And a church accepts God's vision with two significant certainties with regard to the future that God wants to share with you and with me from Daniel's pen. And the first flows out of verse 1 down through verse 4, and we can phrase it like this, that number one, we can live with certainty, you and me, we can live with certainty regarding God's scheduled events for the final days. Now, look carefully at how this unfolds. Do you see at the beginning of chapter 12, verse 1, this phrase, at that time? I want you to loop back now to verse 40 of the prior chapter and notice that it states, at the time of the end. Literally, in the times of the end. What we are looking at here is what the Bible would describe as the second half of the tribulation experience to come. And as this writer begins to unpack this and unfold this, he wants you and me to pick up where he had first introduced us to Michael, the angel, in chapter 10, verse 21. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth, Daniel informs us. There is none who contends by my side against these, except Michael, your prince. So now what you and I are doing is we are examining God's truth, past, present, future. And as we do so, there is this, there is this name that continues to percolate in these verses. The name Michael And we are now informed in this 12th chapter, in this first verse, that at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince. Now as he arises, what we have to bear in mind is that he has been designated, according to the verses here, to be Israel's protector. And so when he arises, it carries with it the idea he stands up and he stands for a group of people. And thus far, what he has been doing is providing a sense of restraint so that these people would allow, be allowed to grow and to multiply, which they have through the generations. I've oftentimes said, and you've heard me say it, the very fact that the Israelites were able to achieve nationhood in 1948 That historic fact alone would lead me to want to put faith and trust in Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior when I consider all the other ancient people groups that are no longer in existence today. 
this is a fulfillment of the prophetic teachings of Daniel's contemporary, Ezekiel. And now what God is doing with Daniel as well as Ezekiel, who had been exiled in the times of the Babylonians, is to allow for his people to look ahead as what is still to come. They have this one known as Michael. Michael has been their protector, the great prince who is charge of your people. But what I want to draw off for you now are three significant events that God has mapped out and allow for us to see how even in microcosmic form the days we've just observed these past seven days portend for what is still to come in the future. Notice the wording. And there shall be a time of trouble. And you say, but Gary, there have always been times of troubles. But there's a comma there. And then what is added is this. Such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. The first event described here is what we will call the Great Tribulation of Israel. Jesus would speak of this in Matthew chapter 24, where in that 21st verse, what he would say, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. The Apostle John, likewise, will use his own way of expressing this in his vision statement. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 6, depicting Israel as a woman, states, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. You see that in Revelation Chapter 12, verse 6. The 1,260 days pretends to three and a half years, which is the second half of the seven-year tribulationary time period. Now, war arose in heaven, John informs us in Revelation 12, verse 7. Listen to this. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent, now we're back to Genesis, aren't we? Who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So now, what John is doing is he is joining forces with Christ had taught in Matthew chapter 24, and Daniel has penned while in exile in chapter 12 of his his writings. There shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. There was a film that came out. And the film was entitled, I Am a Jerusalemite. And it was shown in Jerusalem and featured a young Israeli who was born in Jerusalem around 1948, which was the year, of course, 
of the rebirth of the nation of Israel. And the young man back then was asked to describe his feelings toward religion, but particularly Orthodox Judaism and Christianity. Concerning Judaism, he said, I am very impressed because of the many things prophesied in the Old Testament seem to be coming to pass. And then he added, Now they told me that the Mount of Olives will be divided in two. Christianity, he went on to say, makes me very uneasy. Side note, it has a way of doing that to us, doesn't it? But then he adds slowly, there is something just around the corner. I can feel it. But I don't know what it is. If you love Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've got an opportunity of connecting the dots of this week. What on earth does a selfie and a beauty pageant have to do with Yemen and a political uprising, let alone an economic summit in Davos, Switzerland, unless we begin to see that there is something percolating and that God in his sovereign eternal purposes has already revealed this through the penmanship of an exile in the land of Babylon, then Medes and Persians, 5th century B.C. A time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So now what God is doing is saying, I can provide certainty. I can provide certainty for people that feel so uncertain about their, their experience in life personally and what is taking place globally and where they fit into the big scheme of things. Now, what we want to do is to give a sense of certainty from God's word with regard to the fact that God is sovereign and the trials of life are not. And we can put our faith and trust in him and him alone. There's that first event. It's the great tribulation of Israel, and he pens it all in one verse. Matthew needed a whole chapter. But here's a second event, and it flows out of verse 2. It's the resurrection from the dead. In verse 2, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. What you and I are looking at here is the promise of bodily resurrection. The very thing that Job, who was tormented in his body, spoke of in Job 14. Where in verse 7 he wrote, For there is hope for a tree. If it be cut down, it will sprout again and that its shoots will not cease. And in verse 14, If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my service I would wait till my renewal should come. All that leading to, in his own time of physical turmoil, if you find yourself in physical turmoil, 
ponder what Job would then write in chapter 19, where in verse 25 he states, I know that my Redeemer lives. That's an Easter passage in your Old Testament. And at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God, whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold, and not another. And so what we find here is that Daniel is informing us that believers are going to be raised bodily for glory, and unbelievers will be raised bodily for shame and everlasting, not temporal, but everlasting contempt. This is the resurrection in verse 2 from the dead. And I thought about that, where another event in the last years was unpacked in the news. This was back in 2000. A Russian sailor, his name is Dmitry, Dmitry Kolesnikov, scribbled a note that was found on his body in the wreck of the Kursk nuclear submarine. And he had a sense of death before he left home for the last time, his wife Olga said. Olga and Dmitri had been married only a few months when the two unexplained explosions ripped through the kiosk of August 12, 2000, Reuters News informs us. The submarine sank to the bottom of the sea, causing the death of 118 sailors. Now listen to what Dmitri's mother said. Quote, I still believe even now they should raise the boat itself together with the whole crew. It would have been much easier for everyone, Dimitri's wife, quote, we already said the crew should be raised, but raised them together. They lived together. They served together. They died together. Let them be raised together. And when I saw that Reuters account, I took it and I penciled in that thought next to Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Because what God is doing at this point is that he is making a, a loud statement to people that there is a longing for something more than they are experiencing in life which could be your case as well. But I want you to be able to take the book of truth, which God has spoken of through the lips of Daniel and the penmanship of Daniel, and get your arms around these certainties. The first event, the great tribulation of Israel, verse 1. The second event, the resurrection from the dead, verse 2. And now the third event, the future reward of the righteous, verse 3. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Do you see that? Notice the idea of the rewarding here. This is your third event. The future reward of the righteous appears on the screen. 
But how does somebody become righteous? That's the question that people who are reading that would have to be able to answer. Same question that people need to be asking today. Daniel would have an answer for them. And he's got an answer for you and for me as well. They would have to look back at their forefather. And in the Genesis account of chapter 15, verse 5, God took Abram out into the expanse before him and said, Look toward heaven. Number the stars if you're able to number them. And then God said to Abram, So shall your offspring be. And what happened? You know it. In Genesis 15, verse 6, Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, how does that relate to verse 3 of Daniel's 12th chapter? And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And what he's describing now is evangelistic efforts where believers are sharing with unbelievers the need to put faith and trust in Messiah, Jesus Christ. And as they do so, they are declared righteous by God. This is evangelism unfolding in front of your very eyes. At this point, years ago, I had the opportunity of hearing Richard Van Brandt speak. He authored the book, Tortured for Christ. He was a hardened atheist. Up until a time in which an old carpenter in the mountains of Romania began praying. My God, I've served you on earth and I wish to have my reward. There's that word. You see it on the screen. My God, I have served you on earth, and I wish to have my reward in heaven. But I wish my reward should be that I not die until I bring a Jew to Christ. Because Jesus was from the Jewish people. Van Brandt writes that he was irresistibly drawn to the village. Where out of 12,000 other villages, this one had no Jew. And seeing he was a Jew, Van Braun later noted that this old carpenter quoted me, quote, as never a beautiful girl had been quoted, unquote. And he prayed for hours for his conversion and gave him a Bible to read. And Van Braun finally put faith and trust in Jesus, Jesus Christ. This, then, is what's being described here evangelistically. This was discipleship unfolding. Been working with the elders on vision work. You know, all vision, when it comes to church life, has to come from scriptures. You go no further than what God has, has taught us with regard to vision. So we'll be looking at discipleship in the coming weeks, which is, in essence, what we do here as a congregation. But what I want you to see here is that in the full spectrum of things, God now is speaking through Daniel of the way in which people who are to be wise and shine like the brightness of the sky above turn those many to righteousness so that they are declared righteous by God by putting faith and trust in Jesus. Like stars forever and ever. 
And then the most astounding thing begins to unfold before you and before me. It gets personal with Daniel. And verse 4, but you, Daniel, whose name means literally, God is my judge. Shut up the words. Seal the book until the end of the time, the end of the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Now watch very carefully at the way in which people are attempting to determine what on earth is going on globally at this very moment in light of what is just read there in verse 4. Many shall run to and fro, and lo and behold, what God has done through Amos is to address that issue in Amos' 8th chapter. In verse 11, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for word, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Which is why we work through the word of the Lord continuously here. Verse 12, They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east, They shall, and listen to this, run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord. But they shall not find it in Amos 8, 11 and 12. To and fro. And Amos wrote before Daniel. Amos was an 8th century prophet. Daniel, 5th century But you, Daniel, shut up the words, seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro. Knowledge shall increase. And now what you and I find here is the first certainty unfolding in the great tribulation of Israel, verse 1, the resurrection of the dead, verse 2, the future reward of the righteous based upon their willingness to do full-spectrum discipleship, verse 3. And now what we do is we get our hands around the second certainty that is impacted in these verses, verse 5 to 13. Secondly, we can live with certainty regarding God's sealed words for the final days. Now in verse 5, then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. So I keep my finger on the text and I say, well, what stream are we talking about here? And then I go back to Daniel chapter 10, verse 4, don't you? And when you go back to Daniel 10, verse 4, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, and I camp on that, and then I do my my engine search, and I see where the Tigris and the Euphrates are, and then I ponder what's happening in the Middle East at this point between the Tigris and Euphrates. I'm struck, by the way, of the fact that that's exactly where the ISIS movement is is found in, in most powerful form. What does all this portend in light of the microcosmic elements of what we've analyzed even in the past seven days? And now here we find this one describing things in this way. Someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, question, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And then I pull out my Hebrew Bible and I begin to look at the way in which God uses the word wonder, such as wonderful counselor. And then I think of God's laws. 
wonderful laws in Psalm 119. And Job in chapter 9, verse 10, speaks of God's wonderful creation. I look at all of these, and I tie it together with the angelic question, how long, as he positions himself in really the epicenter of conflict globally, not on the periphery, but in the center of it all, it's as if he's looking to the left, he's looking to the right, and he's posing the question, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And then in verse 7, I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand. Do you see that in verse 7? Toward heaven. Not pointing outwards politically, but upwards theologically. Swore by him who lives forever. That would be for a time, times, and half a time. You see, Gary, we examined that very carefully when we were looking in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Where in the great tribulational period he shall make, speaking of that anti-messianic person, a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And we're talking three and a half years. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out, you see, on the desolator, that one known as Antichrist. And you look at this very carefully here, and what you see time, times, and half a time, and that is the depiction simply of three and a half years, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. And then I look at the one who on that cross would say, I." It is finished. And in verse 8, I heard, but I did not understand. What didn't he understand? What he, Daniel, wrote? No. The prophets knew fully what they wrote. What he didn't understand was the whole issue of timing. Just when will this occur? that the angel is posing the question regarding and when this three-and-a-half-year period will be unfolding. And so in verse 8, I heard, I did not understand, and then I said, O Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Which is the sort of question that's percolating globally at this very time as people are trying to connect dots. What does God have to say when Daniel poses that question? Three aspects of response. The first is what I'll call the temporal aspect in verse 4 and verse 9. He said in verse 9, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end of the time. Notice what appears on the screen now. The temporal aspect of God's plan. Go your way, Daniel. That's all I've got to say. Picture God in your life group at this point, where you like all kinds of self-revelation, and here's God saying enough. Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end of the time of the end. Now, here's the picture behind it all. 
Daniel didn't have Facebook. He didn't have email and so on. But what they had were scrolls. And when writings were finalized in the scroll, the scroll was then wrapped. When the scroll was then wrapped, the scroll was sealed with hot wax. And the one who was involved in the writing of that scroll would take his ring off, his finger, and he would use his insignia. He would place his insignia ring into the soft hot wax until it would harden. Now what God is saying here is that I've established this with my insignia ring. This entire plan, past, present, future, is part of my global blueprint for us personally, for us globally. But realize there are some things in terms of just when this will finally occur that is known only in the quarters of the heavens above. Go your way, Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. He takes a deep breath. Can't you say a little more, God? Just sometimes at a very personal level, what we would love from God. Can you just give me a little more? A little more info. But now God has got a second aspect here to this whole matter of the certainty of his sealed words. Not only the temporal aspect in verse 4 and 9. Secondly, the ethical aspect here in verse 10 through 12. You say, ethics? How so? Answer, verse 10. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. In other words, one of the greatest motivators for wanting to live rightly is to have a sense of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so he looks at the ethical situations globally. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And there's the dichotomy, now and still to come. None of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise, and that's why we work verse by verse, shall understand. And then, all of a sudden, verses 11 and 12 leap out at us. And we've been helping our teachers and our congregation, got gifted teachers in all these services. And they've been giving homework assignments to their students, and science teachers, as we did last week, they gave one. And this week, the math teacher and the history teacher put heads together saying, we've got to do something here, another homework assignment. Here it comes in verse 11. And the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there will be 1,290 days. And I say, Gary, Gary, you started this study a little earlier by reading from the book of Revelation 12, verse 6, where you spoke of the woman who fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared by God, and she'd be nourished for 1,260 days. Now we're up to 1,290 days. And Daniel's pulling out his Jewish calculator at this point. And he's saying, I've just come up with 30 more days. Now how am I to understand this? Well, our response is this, yes. 
We're talking about the Great Tribulation. Yes, we're talking about the three and a half years. Yes, we're talking about 1,260 days. Why the additional 30 days? Here it comes. In Daniel, excuse me, in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 8, God established a tradition for the Israelites that upon the passing of Moses, they mourned for 30 days. Transfer that. In the book of Zechariah, speaking of the final days, in chapter 12, verse 10, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn. Same word. They shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. We bitterly over him as one weeps over our firstborn in that final day. There was a man whose name was Mr. Hoover who was sharing the gospel with a rabbi. I, I love every opportunity I have to talk with rabbis. Crack open the Hebrew, talk it through together. And he was a missionary to the Jews. He was a Gentile, but he was riding in a car with a Jewish rabbi to a synagogue. And as they drew up front of the synagogue, the rabbi said, Mr. Hoover, you Gentile Christians are looking for the second coming of the Messiah. We Jewish people are looking for his first coming. But who knows that he might be the same person as he looked up. And then the rabbi paused for a moment and he said to Hoover, how do you think we Jews will recognize our Messiah? Hoover brilliantly opened up to Zechariah, the same passage I opened up to, and read today, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And John Hoover said that the rabbi got out of the car without a word, thinking, processing what his older testament had to say about the one with the nail-pierced hands. Okay, so our math teachers have already got us adding 30 days. But lo and behold, we're in verse 12 now. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at 1,335 days, and now all of a sudden you've added 45 more days. You're up to 1,335 days. We have added 75 days to the 1,260 that we started off with. What are we doing with this? Well, your math teacher, your history teacher, pulls it together for us in our homework assignment. Marv Rosenthal's got an idea. As he looks at the 75 days, you add 30 plus 45, what do we got here? 75 days is the amount of time between tabernacles and Hanukkah. Now this is Rosenthal writing. 
that whenever our Lord in the future returns, it appears as though if we are doing this right, it's between tabernacles and Hanukkah. We read in John 1.14, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and the Greek word for dwelt is tabernacled, and reflects the time when Christ lived among men. And he will do so again beginning with his return. Hanukkah commemorates the cleansing of the temple following the abomination of desolation committed by Antiochus Epiphanes, and we examined that in our prior study in Daniel. You tie all that together, and now all of a sudden, without making any predictions about when our Christ would return, we'll leave that to those that know more than I do, and you do, but they'll probably be wrong. Blessed is he who simply waits. You trust and you wait. It arrives at the 1,335 days, but you're doing you're doing scripture here. And there's your temporal, and there's your ethical, but here now, thirdly, is your personal. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest, he says to Daniel. He's an old man now. Shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days, and lo and behold, what God has done is once again brought the whole idea of resurrection to the table as he's speaking to Daniel at this point. And what is it that God is in essence saying to Daniel? The very thing that Jesus himself would say in Matthew 25, verse 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. And now you take all that. You put it together. And what you ask yourself is, am I living a life of certainty? Is my faith filled with certainty in the one who died for my sins and on the third day rose from the dead? If so, in the midst of all the global, regional, local confusions that people encounter, I can talk about God's scheduled events. I can talk about God's sealed words. I can talk about Jesus and the need to put faith and trust in him as our Savior. Have you done that? Have you examined your heart? Have you made absolutely certain that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Let's stand for a closing word of prayer, and as we do so, I want to pray in particular if there's anybody here in this service, the one prior, the one subsequent, that might not know Jesus. And if that's you, would you just simply pray in your heart this prayer? God, I realize that I am a sinner. I accept that Christ died for my sin. I want certainty. So I'm putting my faith and trust in Jesus alone for my salvation. Now my prayer is if you've prayed that, you're going to tell someone you love or someone nearby what you've done. Start marching together as we live for Jesus.
Now let me go on to pray. And Father, I pray for all those who know you, who have previously put faith and trust in you. They feel as though life seems so uncertain, job-wise, health-wise, family relationships, friendships, let alone the global issues that almost sometimes seem beyond. But Father, I pray now you'll pour certainty into their hearts, into their minds, so they can live their todays and their tomorrows, knowing that you walk with them and minister to them, and that someday, someday they're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. For this we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.